Hi everyone, welcome to a new edition of the Dispatched Podcast. I am Paul Cross and I'm joined by Felicity McNeil, co-founder, chair of Better Access Australia. Hi Paul. We are going to have a conversation today about a pretty significant issue that's emerged in the past week. It's one of the first, I think, that the new government is going to deal with in health and it's actually really, really important. It's important in the world of therapy and treatments. It's, it's, it's important, obviously, for parents and families. And of course, we're talking about newborn blood spot screening. Now, pre-election commitment from Labor is to uh, an essential, essentially a national takeover of the program, which at the moment is a state by state and territory jurisdictional implementation. But let's just go back. Let's go back to why there is this commitment. So why is this important, Felicity? As someone who's advocated for this. Uh, thanks, Paul. Why is it important? Because we have a postcode lottery in Australia and we are 30 years behind the rest of the world, in particular the US uh, and much of Europe. We screen between nationally for 25 to 28 diseases. California is screening for over 85 now. And what was really worrying us is that 15, 20 years on, we had this process that goes disease by disease, state by state. Um, we've seen last week Queensland say, good news, we're going to do the SMA and SCID, obviously because they're on the same assay. Um, we're going to follow Victoria, who's also going to pilot it, and WA. Uh, and we watch families fight for this. The reality is that um, we are woefully behind in the screening of our children for rare diseases, diseases that can hit them at birth, in their childhood, their teens, or in their adulthood. Um, and when you look at what we're doing in bowel cancer, breast cancer, any kind of cancer or other disease, we're woefully behind and it has to change. What Labor's agreed to is immediate adoption of the 80 diseases that are currently screened for in California. They've agreed to nationally take it over. So they fund the tests and like the National Immunisation Program, the states do the administration. And then thirdly, they've committed to biannual reviews to make sure we never, ever have this happen again. That for every two years we stop and we look what's going on, what technology is available. And it also addresses that issue that I know a lot of people keep throwing around, which is the future of genetic screening. You know, um, it, it allows for the, the discussion and the move towards that, but we've got to stop and we've got to do this now. Yeah, some of the arguments that have emerged in recent days are, well, frankly, embarrassing. <laughs> I mean, let's, 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 let's think about the status quo here. The status quo is a multi-year process for every single individual disease to go through uh, HTA, full HTA, HTA evaluation by the Medical Services Advisory Committee, and then it is up to the states and territories whether they adopt that. Now, if anyone if anyone argues that that is a good approach, they they are uh, you know they must be smoking weed or so, or some or something else if they truly think that is a good approach. I think it's embarrassing, and the arguments against the adoption of a nation of national a truly national approach. It's just been pathetic. But we're, we're going to go through them line by line. Now, you're far more polite than I am, but 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 we, we've had some conversations about this in recent days, and frankly, I think it makes both of us very angry, some yeah. of the nitpicking at it. But the first one is, <laughs> let's go through them. It, the first one is that Australia already has a gold standard newborn blood spot, blood spot screening program. 
Oh, yeah. Ripper one, that one, isn't it? Yes. Gold standard if you've got 25 to 28 diseases. Um, and if you think that that's okay compared to California, which is now screening for 85, well, shame on you. Uh, if it's a gold standard program, then why is a baby in Tasmania being screened differently to a, a baby in Northern Territory, different to a baby in New South Wales? We are failing our children. There are children dying each year when they could have been treated and cared for with uh, products that are subsidised, whether it be on the LSDP, whether they be on the PBS, whether they be best supportive care, we could be doing all these things and we're not. Okay, so yeah, that's just frankly wrong, that argument. The next one, it does more, it can do more harm than good for parents and families to be aware that their, their baby is at risk of developing certain genetic disease. This one is, this one is just so typical of a health system that sees patients as an inconvenience. This is something that is very much said from, I think, the clinician view. Thank you, Dr. Brendan Murphy, now AC, and his letter to uh, the Pompeii Association, which I think we showed at your mm. conference in our video, where you know the, the distress of a family possibly knowing that their child may develop a disease um, I think, as Renee said in that video, that was like being told, could you just go away and die, please? Um, that's just, it, it's appalling. And it fails to understand the patient point of view. We've heard Megan Connell talk at the ARCS conference when the same thing has been raised with her, which is, oh, but, you know, you don't want to know because, you know, you can't treat it. How dare clinicians, how dare HTA evaluators decide what it is that a parent wants to know or feels informed about? I'd like to remind people who are saying that right now that we're already screening for 25 to 28 diseases that your child will be diagnosed Why? with we at should some screen point for nothing, in time. The logical extension of that argument is that we should, should screen for not for nothing. Exactly. And I remind patients and I remind the community that diseases like cystic fibrosis aren't exclusively a newborn or a childhood onset disease. These, depending on your genetic mutation, can develop later in life. We have been screening for cystic fibrosis since the 1980s because it was the right thing to do. When you know and you can inform families, when families can therefore know, it gives them options for future preconception testing. Mm. It allows them to have earlier access to the NDIS. It allows them to have earlier access to treatment. It stops a diagnostic odyssey. I mean, how many patients do we listen talk about? And I met with some of them at your um, conference, Paul, and again, a lovely guy, um, Stephen, who went again on a diagnostic odyssey, not like Renee of 10 years, it was only four years for him, trying to find a disease which we can screen for at birth mm. that would have allowed him to access various treatments, better care, better um, clinical support. Yeah, I'd like to remind people that the system's meant to, to, to serve patients, not the other way around. Now, now the, next, the, the next argument is the risk of false positives and their potential to overwhelm the health system. Again, an argument that seems to suggest that we might as well do away with all screening. Absolutely. Well, you know, you look at the various studies on bowel screening that we do uh, in Australia for over 50s. Um, I'm sure you don't know anything about that, Paul, being so young. <laughs> um, but, you know, you look at studies of that various in the UK, you know, 89 per thousand are potentially uh, a false positive. You look at breast cancers, the mammograms in Australia, you know, over 10 years, 50% of those of patients will have had a false positive. And yet we agree that it's important because we want to treat and prevent cancer as soon as possible. Yes, all testing, all screening has a risk of a false positive. Then we go through the process of confirming, refining and defining. And yes, at the end, pa parents will tell you, and I've met with some of those parents who will say, it was quite a shock when, yes, we did get a false positive, but then we went through the secondary screening, the secondary tests, and 
it was okay. And equally, for the parents that got a positive that was a positive, that changed the life and the treatment journey for their children. Their children are alive because they got early access to the drug when they should have. They got early access to um, a, a bone marrow transplant uh, plant because that's when they should have. That These are transformative things. And I guess it's a bit like, you know, the ABC's got an article today about increasing calls for greater access to the BRCA screening for the potential carrying of a gene because you may develop breast cancer. It's not even that you've got a mammogram that suggests that you have a, a lump. It's like you could be a carrier of this. So we want you to have to be able to make a decision. You may never develop breast cancer, but you might develop breast cancer. And we're sitting there saying with adults, well, we want the actual right to choose when we have that information and how we use that information. And <laughs> the problem in a, in, a, in our system, or one of the one of the many problems, is that, and spinal muscular atrophy is a great example because it is still a state by state jurisdictional argument about getting them to screen babies for it. It's funded treatment, pre symptomatic, but of course it's fairly pointless. A point the PBAC made that it's pointless without screening, but there is prenatal screening for it, yes. and the reason that prenatal screening sailed through the system is because it leads to fewer births, yes, and less treatment. And therefore, it was made cost effective. Yeah. Now, there is something that sits very uncomfortably with me where that can go through the system very easily as cost effective because it will lead to less treatment. Now, we have to face reality as, as, as a country that if we screen more babies for more diseases, it's going to lead to more diagnosis and more treatment. Good. Yes. I point out that the SMA screening for newborn screening, that process has been going over four years now. Yeah. And and yes, there'll be false positives. And yes, you know, we're talking about babies being screened for which there are no uh, there may be no approved therapeutic intervention, but that doesn't mean there isn't care. No. This is this is what why I just find you know, the next argument that was used, which is we should only screen for conditions. That can be treated. I mean, that just to me, it just beggars belief. Well, I'd remind everybody that in the eighties, when we added cystic fibrosis to newborn screening, we didn't have treatments. Those mm. treatments are available today because children have been diagnosed, and through that journey of, of you know drug development, we've suddenly got treatments available. Again, if you're so supportive of preconception testing, again, I've listened to Megan Connell talk about that. She has two children with childhood dementia because she didn't know that her first child had childhood dementia. That choice about preconception testing was not available to those families. Mm. Likewise, childhood dementia is 50% likely caused by lysosomal storage disorders, including San Filippo disease. You can't realistically go into a clinical trial. All the evidence shows by the time children were diagnosed, it's too late. You know, they need access to that from really, you know, from birth to two years of age, if it's to have the impact that we all want it to have for their children. And just because I know that my child may have a disease either at birth or in their teenage years or growing as adult, it allows us as a family to make choices. It allows us as a family to be prepared, to watch for symptoms, to, to be ready, to stop the diagnostic odyssey that when my child is in her teens and we're at our 50th different medical visit because we can't work out what's going wrong and yet it was something that was already screened for at birth and could be today – I mean, shame on the system for continuing to argue that. That's a parent's informed choice. It's a family's choice. Well, next on the carousel of poor arguments is the need for genetic counselling and other support, which to me always smells like a <laughs> – it always comes across as a, 
as a as a, as an argument for funding, but 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 uh, yeah, right. There'll be, there'll need to be counselling support. Like presumably there already is. Yeah, there's there's some really I've heard some really disturbing things over the last six weeks, Paul. I'm, I'm uh, to quote Ness from uh, Gavin and Stacey. I'm not going to lie to you. <laughs> it's not been good. But the concern that people have expressed about well there will be children that will live longer and will have more access to, you know, it will be a burden on the health system because they'll need more specialist interventions and more admissions to hospital to receive their treatment. Um, I found that quite shocking. There's some things I'd like to remind people about that, you know, there are 8,500 babies born a day, okay? If we expand newborn screening from 28 to 80 diseases, maybe two to five of those children every day on average will come up with another screening identification of which fewer you know only a few percent of those will actually go on to actually be diagnosed with a disease now that's not a lot that's australia-wide that's not you know in each state or territory so that's maybe one to two babies every day that are going to enter the health system for treatment that's a good thing at some point in time, those babies were going to enter the health system for treatment anyway. Correct. But they had deteriorated. It was bringing forward what they're going to get anyway. Exactly. At some point in time, those babies that have been screened and have a positive test result, their families will need counselling. Those families would have needed that genetic counselling when at three months or six months or five years, their child is really ill or at 25 years of age when they're finally diagnosed, they get the conversation to sit down and say, you actually carry this disease. It's about when the resources are being used, not necessarily that it's causing more resources to be used. It's Yes, we agree. It will be more concentrated at the early foundational stages of of children's lives. But like I said, 8,500 babies born nationwide every day. One or two more of them are going to receive a positive test result, a result of, of these additional diseases being added to newborn screening. We should be proud of that. Yeah, I think we need to take it back, and people need to take this back to first principles. Do we think it is a good idea, it is a good thing to identify babies at risk of developing serious genetic disease at the earliest opportunity? I I welcome anyone to say no so we can have a discussion about it, but to me the answer is a very obvious yes, and I think to the vast majority of people the, the, the answer t- would be yes as well. But I think talking to Kate Holiday, who spoke at your conference mm. last year, um, who's someone who said one of the, the advantages of this is that for majority of babies, the 80 diseases you're screened for, they're not going to be – it's going to be just all negative, and that's mm. a wonderful thing. When a child walks in at three or five or an adult at 18 to 25 – that's equally, I know I'm not looking for these 80 diseases. At the moment, when someone's coming in and being on a diagnostic odyssey and being sick for three years, we're doing those tests now. I think this is a really welcome initiative from Labor. Uh, obviously, it will be developed up in the, in the lead-up to the October, the new budget that's going to be announced in October. I, I hope people aren't seeking to undermine this commitment I, re- I really hope. I, I, want, I want to think that people have the best interests of babies at heart and, and their families, and I would hate to think that there is some misguided view that this needs to be nitpicked until it all becomes too hard. I, I, I would re- be incredibly disappointed and, and, well, there'll have to be a response if, if that's what's happening. 
I think the important part of all of this moving forward, and I take great comfort in the words of Dr. Freelander in uh, over the past week, which is we need to listen to what patients and their families think about this. Mm. There's a reason Better Access Australia started this process 12 months ago. You know why we started looking at it three years ago, Paul, because patients came to us and said we need help. Mm. Patients came to us and said this cannot keep going. It was patients. It was their parents. And so I think as a medical community, as bureaucrats, as system administrators, we always need to remember who do we work for. It's a patient-centric system. It is their health system. It is not your health system. And it's their choice as to how to move this forward. And like I said, national, newborn. Who would have thought? Remember all the arguments on um, the immunisation program, Paul? You've talked about it. Yeah, I do. I do. The Department of Health opposed it. Now, can you imagine? Look what it is. We have no jab, no pay because everybody so fundamentally believes on how important, how intrinsically important that national program is to the health of our children. Please, let's make the health of our children our priority and make sure this is implemented by 1 July next year as has been committed to. I'm going to extend an invitation to anyone who wants to make the case for the status quo, anyone who wants to make the case for a system that, requires a full HTA evaluation to be proposed by patients and then requires them to fight it out across all eight state and territory jurisdictions to actually get it implemented. If anyone wants to make the case for the status quo, please come forward. If anyone wants to make the case against the virtual national takeover of Australia's newborn screening programs as committed by the federal government, please come forward and and make the case. If anyone wants to describe all of these problems... If anyone wants to, wants to defend the idea that it does more harm than good, the risk of false positives overwhelming the health system, that we should only screen for conditions that can be treated and the fact the system can't cope with the need, the, the, the potential demand for genetic counselling and other support. If you, anyone wants to make the case against ground on the basis of those arguments, please come forward. I'd be happy to have a conversation. I'll create a platform for you. for you. So please come forward. I think it's very unfortunate that some people seem intent on doing everything they can to undermine this commitment. And I think they need to really think about what they're doing um, and what, what, what the practical impact of that, the real impact will be uh, for Australian families. It's important and I guess, you know, it's not a money grab. This is about a national program. I mean, we can see very quickly when, you know, things are part of health reform agreements that I'll give you money and you implement all this. It has to be a national program. We can't keep having babies born in different states and territories, having better access to screening than others. I know some people say to me, oh, but, you know, there are different treatments and, and different screening in different parts of the of the country. That's not a something to be proud of. Well, That's something to be embarrassed about. And, and I think the need for a national takeover was highlighted by the Queensland Government's announcement this week of the addition of SMA and the other disease, where, where they said, we note the government, the federal government has announced $38.4 million. We really look forward to getting the money. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was so overt. And if patient groups and others are going to do anything on this, they need to push back against, just give the states the money because we know that you, they give the states the money through the NHRA and nothing happens. Yeah. So there needs to be a national takeover. And I go back to the NIP. Can anyone now conceptualise a system of childhood immunisation that is done at jurisdictional level, that each state and territory does their own 
thing. We've seen the issue issue with that with with CAR T therapy, with gene therapy, and even with the new free flu vax program, yes. that it turns into a complete hodgepodge. We've got the, the potential for national leadership on what is an incredibly important issue, and I I I am urging everyone to get behind it. And if anyone feels that it's not a good idea, I say again, please come forward. I'll be happy to talk to you. I'll create the platform for you to make the case. It's right here, ready to go if you think it's a bad idea. But if you think the status quo is good and if you think state government issuing media releases to the feds are saying, give us the money, if you think that's a good thing, then I, then that's, that's fine. I don't. I don't. I, I would ask people to conceptualise a childhood immunisation program when it's run at state and territory level. Well, look at what's happening right now, Paul, with um, access to Evershield. Well, you know, it's in the national medical stockpile, and we're <laughs> sitting there. And depending which state and territory yeah. you're in, depends which disease defines you as having access to a treatment. This is for yeah. everyone. Those who don't know, this is AstraZeneca's treatment for for uh, COVID nineteen cases. It's Pre- it's a combination product. Product, uh, you know, it's in the national medical stockpile. And it's been rolled out across jurisdictions and some patients who should be getting it are not getting it. And what we're getting from all the different jurisdictions, including federal, state and territory, is all care and no responsibility. And we don't don't want that anymore. And we're sort of urging the feds to fix that in the same way they need to fix newborn screening. Absolutely. Okay, Felicity, so we're going to keep an eye on this over the next few weeks. I don't know, you've got some meetings to talk about. I know you're putting together sort of some groups to to help advocate for this and to make sure it happens. And I say again, anyone who wants to make the case for the status quo and against the national takeover of newborn screening, please come forward. I'll be happy to talk to you. Uh, But, you know, (laughs) I'm I'm really struggling with some of the arguments we've heard. Look, thanks, Paul. And I will just say that we have a a working group of some patients, uh, some lab technicians, some doctors. If there's anyone listening that would like to be a part of that, this is not about us controlling it. It's about making sure that it happens as intended. Uh, It's not advocacy, it's implementation. It's making sure this happens as intended and supporting the government, supporting the federal bureaucracy to make it happen. Um, As intended. With one voice. As As intended. intended. Not just giving the states and territories a check. No. But as intended, which is a national takeover. Felicity, thank you so much. Everyone, thank you for listening today and uh, we'll be back in a couple of weeks with another podcast. Thanks.